0: Turn in your Bibles now for the reading of God's Word in the book of Exodus, the 20th chapter, Exodus chapter 20. We continue this morning looking at the Ten Commandments, and we'll be looking at verse 14 today, the Seventh Commandment. But as we have been doing, we want to read all the way up through that point. So let's begin at verse 1 of chapter 20, hear now God's Word. who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. This is the word of the Lord. Like like the sixth commandment, the seventh commandment has just two words in the original Hebrew. Two words. Commandment six basically says not murder. And the seventh commandment says not adultery. These two commandments along with the previous one, the fifth commandment, all had under the old covenant the penalty of death for breaking those commandments. It's worth noting, I think, that those three commandments, five, six, and seven, specifically later in the Old Testament, civil law mentions death as the penalty for those who would break those either of those three commandments. That in itself should underscore for us the powerful significance of those commandments and the danger of breaking them. Danger not in the sense that, oh, don't do that or you might be put to death in Israel, Old Testament Israel. No, true as that is, danger in the sense of the damage that can be done, not only to the one who commits those Sins, but to those around them, to their families and to their communities. And, of course, that's the case here with the seventh commandment. Do not commit adultery. I'm pretty sure that I can speak for most pastors in saying I get no pleasure out of preaching this commandment. In Some ways I don't get any pleasure out of preaching any of them. But I want you to think of this commandment just like all the others in this sense. Not so much the prohibition, important as that is, as we'll see, but even more importantly, how God has designed us so that his blessings and mercies will will fall on us and and be present in our lives if we do keep this commandment. Like every one of these 10 commandments, the seventh commandment is designed for our good, for our protection, for our blessing. So we want to see it ultimately in that positive light. Now, this commandment, I don't have to convince you, I'm sure, is violated, it seems like, more and more blatantly in our culture in the last couple of generations. You can somewhat blame it on the 1960s if you want to, the sexual revolution of people that were my age at that point in time. (laughs) But of course, the whole problem goes back to sin itself, the origin of sin. And because we are sinners by nature, one of the ways that sin is manifesting itself in a godless society, which we are becoming, we have become, are going to be increasing. Uh, awareness and increasing activity of all the ways that this commandment can be broken of course that includes adulterous affairs living together outside of marriage homosexuality mate swapping there's others but there's those are a few examples and popular opinion in our time rather than fidelity to biblical standards and wisdom, popular opinion has encouraged all of these activities through the ways that they can they can disseminate their ungodly practices. They are wanting it more and more. And so we, we can hardly go anywhere and do anything without that being sort of, pushed in our face. It's on the internet. It's on television. It's in advertising. It's in all the major influential institutions like the media, government. It's hard to avoid it. But we as Christians who are people of the book, we have to maintain this standard. This is the This is the bar that we cannot allow to be lowered, the bar of righteous living, the bar of keeping God's commandments. We cannot allow that to be lowered in our lives. We have to start there. We can't just point our finger out there at uh, other people or institutions that are lowering that bar. They can lower it all they want, but we are not going to lower the standard. Because we are committed to the scriptures as the authority for our living. I don't know if you've ever uh, tried that uh, limbo thing. Where, you know, you you try to walk under the bar. And then they set it a little lower. Try to walk under it again. And eventually it gets to a point where you just can't do it. And you're amazed at those who can't. Well, in a bad way, the bar is being lowered and we have to stand tall. We have to stand tall for the commandments of God, not only because they reflect God's, God's holiness in and of themselves, but because we're called to reflect that same holiness. This is our, our guide. This is our standard for living. We can't pick and choose. Which one of these commandments we want to keep? They're all there for our good and for God's glory. Christians find themselves facing constant temptations concerning this commandment. But you know that's nothing new. Maybe in the times in which you and I are living, we're seeing it worsen, but it's been bad ever since man's fallen to sin. Even the great theologian, Augustine, perhaps it was in his earlier years, who once prayed to the Lord, give me chastity, but not yet. I would hope that he made some progress in that as he grew in his Christian faith. I'm sure he did. So let's take another look at this commandment and how we can see the wisdom and the beauty of keeping it. Two things to note, and I know the outline is... Uh, pretty involved and it may make you think, oh boy, we're going to be here for a long time. No, we're not. (laughs) Um, First of all, notice the scriptures provide the definition of the marriage law. This is the marriage law. You shall not commit adultery. But you can break this commandment by uh, when you're not married too because you are violating what marriage is designed for. The sexual relationship what makes marriage so special? Well, I could break it down just in two simple things. And you've got some scriptures there. The unity of marriage makes it special. There's no other relationship like the relationship between a husband and a wife. And that was ordained by God at the very beginning of creation. You remember how in Genesis chapter 2, Well, one and two, we read about God creating man and woman. And then at the end of chapter two, God performs the first wedding. He brings the woman to the man and he makes this pronouncement in verse 24 of chapter two in Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast or cleave to his wife And they shall become one flesh. That is one of the most basic principles of of people as they live in society. If you weakened weakened the principle of marriage the way God ordained it, you are weakening not only that relationship, you're weakening yourselves, you're weakening your family, you're weakening your community, you're weakening your society. It has that ripple effect. Of course, we notice quite clearly marriage is designed for a man and a woman. That has to be said. It's designed for a man and a woman and only for a man and a woman. Let that be absolutely clear in our own convictions because God ordained it. Remember we saw how God ordained three basic institutions for society before sin ever came into the picture. He ordained marriage, family. He ordained the Sabbath. And he ordained labor. All three of those are under attack today. In one way or another. It's no wonder that our society is sinking. Years ago, one of the judges in our country was nominated to be a Supreme Court judge, Robert Bork. And he will go down in history, I suppose, as someone whose nomination was highly contested. Of course, it's all political. And he was not chosen to be uh, the uh, next Supreme Court justice. Well, Bork later wrote a book, with the very telling title of Slouching Towards Gomorrah. That's uh, his description, I think, of the way things were going. That's back in the 80s. Slouching towards Gomorrah. How much more have we slouched? So, what I'm saying is, we're, we look at the way our world is today, especially here in America. And then we look at what God says. And we have to be determined to not allow ourselves to follow that way of the world. And if we're not careful, the world will seep into us bit by bit until you can't really tell the difference between our beliefs and the beliefs of those who are not even professing Christians. We do not allow, we cannot allow that to happen. The unity of marriage makes this relationship so special, ordained by God, designed in a certain way. And it's the holiness of marriage, of course, as well, that must be pointed out here, that makes marriage special. This relationship is a holy relationship. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, the writer is giving a number of closing Uh, Duties for believers. Verse 4 says, Let marriage be held in honor among all. And let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. There is a beauty in the marriage relationship. There's no perfect marriage. This this is only in, on earth. In heaven, we won't even, we don't even need marriage, hard as that is to believe. But this, this, this relationship is holy in the eyes of God, and it must be treated as such. We must maintain, <clears throat> maintain purity in our relationships. Husband and wife need to be faithful to each other and each other exclusively. Sex is not just a form of recreation. Vladimir Lenin, an infamous and very influential leader in Russia at the turn of the 20th century, had a theory called the glass of water theory. His theory was that uh, a glass of water is a, is a perfect depiction of our attitude towards sex, what he thought it should be. And it was that, you know, When you're thirsty, you take a glass of water and you drink. And that's the way he saw the sexual relationship. If that's something you want, it's just like being thirsty. You satisfy that thirst. Not a good approach. A very dangerous and damaging approach, in fact. Nor is marriage considered to be just a piece of paper. That's a That's an argument a lot of people have used. You know, what's so special about just having a piece of paper that says we're legally married? Well, it is important to be legal in that relationship. But it's more than a piece of paper. A piece of paper is representing something far, far more significant. What if we started saying, well, you know, the Declaration of Independence, it's just a piece of paper. We know better than that. The Constitution, just a piece of paper. There are pieces of paper that represent some very powerful and important things, and marriage is one of them. And then we can also ask how the marriage law can be broken. How can you break the marriage law? <laughs> well, very end of the Old Testament is a good place to start, I think. And in chapter 3 of Malachi, excuse me, chapter 2 of Malachi, uh, there's an indictment. Uh, on the people of Israel here by Malachi in verses 14 through 16 this is what it says Malachi 2:14 But you say why does he not because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless though she is your companion and your wife by covenant Did he not make them one with a portion of the spirit in their union? And what was the one God seeking? Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment. The man who does not love his wife covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Twice he says, guard yourselves. Guard yourselves in your spirit. We'll see more about that in just a second. That's how important it was. Of course, Jesus talked about the seventh commandment too. In the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, verses 27 and 28. This is right after what he said about murder that we talked about last time. Verse 27, you have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here, Jesus once again reminds us Of how important it is that we be faithful with this seventh commandment in our hearts first, not just with our outward actions. And he says, You can be guilty of adultery just by sinful looks. But there must be a distinction here between merely looking and looking, as it says here, with lustful intent. You can look at another person and say, nice looking, very pretty, very handsome. Okay, that's fine. Just don't keep looking and staring and ogling and moving closer and closer to the violation, the the spirit of the violation of this law with lustful intent. Votie Bauckham, a very fine Reformed Baptist pastor preaching on this commandment said when you get to the point of lusting is when you in effect are uh, putting your card on the table and saying okay i'm interested if you'll put your card on the table and indicate to me that you're interested you know you've gone too far then maybe he never gets past that outwardly physically but it has gotten past it in terms of your heart So Jesus is reminding us that the keeping of any of these commandments is not just a matter of the outward actions or words. It's a matter of our hearts. Where are our hearts at that point? Malachi says this is breaking a covenant vow. That's the seriousness of adultery. You are breaking a covenant vow. I will be faithful to you and to you alone as long as we both shall live. God has made a covenant vow. Jesus says, we are the bride of Christ. We who are the church of Christ, we are his bride. And he's going to be faithful to us, but will we be faithful to him? So you've got that, that greater relationship The relationship between between Christ and the church. Modeled after the lesser relationship, the human relationship between husband and wife. Parallel similarities there. The word for adultery here is in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. The word for adultery is porneia. Porneia. I don't have to explain that. It's a broad term that includes all sexual activities apart from marriage. Prior to being married, during marriage, any kind of illicit relationship. A child in Sunday school once said, in answering the question about what adultery was, she said more than she realized, Uh, Focusing on the word adult in adultery, she said, adultery is pretending to be older than you are. She really did say more than she realized. Outwardly, we can commit this commandment in all of these different ways that we've talked about. Inwardly, we can be guilty by lust. Someone said lust is the craving for salt by a man who is dying of thirst. Looking is one thing. Lusting goes beyond that. It's desiring something for yourself that is not yours. But whether we lust sexually or we're lusting for things or status or anything, of course, God forbids that. For our good, remember. Now, with that in mind, notice the second thing I wanted us to to, uh, note here. And that is the the scriptures providing the directions for keeping the marriage law. And these are not uh, directions that I came up with. They came from a wonderful Puritan pastor named Thomas Watson. And I've sort of adapted that here. We won't be able to look at all these scriptures. I hope you'll take all of them and study them. But it all begins with the first one. You're not going to be able to properly do any of these other things if you aren't doing the first one right. That's, again, why the Ten Commandments are set up the way they are. Don't have any other gods before you, before him. So we need to grow in the fear of God. Our relationship with the Lord needs to be one of constantly improving growing to love God more, and uh, along with that, loving others as well. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1, reminds us of this. Paul here has a therefore. Therefore is a big word with Paul, and rightly so. Therefore, verse 1 of chapter 7, Paul says, since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. He had, chapter six, he had talked about the promises, God's promises to us. Wonderful. But how are we going to be able to, to benefit from those promises? How are we going to see those promises Fulfilled in our lives. It's going to have to be through our growing in the fear of the Lord. We're going to have to reverence God. We're going to have to say, God is first in my life, in my application of my faith, in the very real, down to earth things of life. Galatians 5, of course, gives us a list of the sins, the works of the flesh, including sexual sins. And then he says, in contrast, but the fruit of the spirit, that is, if you are walking with Christ, growing in the fear of the Lord, growing to reverence God more and more, letting him rule your life, then you're going to see spiritual fruit like love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Secondly, cleave to your own spouse. Cleave to your own spouse. Let me back up just a second. Psalm 37.4 says that when we delight ourselves in the Lord, he will give us the desires of our heart. See, that's the point I'm making in the first one, growing in the fear of God. Delight yourself in the Lord. He loves you. He wants you to come to realize more and more his greatness, his glory, his goodness, His wisdom, and on and on. And the more you delight yourself in, in the Lord, your, the desires of your heart are going to become more in sync with the desires of God's heart for you. And that in itself, you see, can help you deal with temptations regarding the breaking of this commandment. If you are guilty of adultery, inwardly or outwardly, Do not think that that is the unpardonable sin. Okay? Secondly, cleave to your own spouse. We read in Genesis 2 about the importance of that. God wants us to to be just totally given over in love to our spouse. Husbands to wives, wives to husbands. If you want to learn more about dealing with, Temptations to adultery. Read Proverbs five, six, and seven. So strong. Pretty tough to, to uh, be confused on what God expects of us in those three chapters. It's about as plain as anything can be. But <clears throat> Proverbs five eighteen let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. Be thankful for the gift of a wife to a husband or husband to a wife. God has, I mean, you can almost put your spouse in a box and tie it up, put a ribbon around it, you know, to you from God with love. Those of us who are Christians and are married, is that the way you continuously think of your spouse, your husband, your wife? God's gift to me. If you're like me, the longer you live, the more you realize how how perfectly God matched the wife to the husband and the husband to the wife. It's incredible the more you think about it. We need to be thankful. Cleave to your own spouse. Third, guard your eyes. The eyes are a major point here uh, of importance in terms of how we deal with the temptations to break the seventh commandment. You need to control, learn to control how you look at things. Discipline yourself to limit things that you know would be unhealthy and dangerous and sinful for you. Don't take those. Those temptations lightly. Oh, you know, just one little look. That kind of thing. Peter talks about unbelievers or people as having eyes full of adultery. Second Peter two fourteen, eyes full of adultery. There are, I mean, I I have seen people that just a look in their eye gives away a lot. Job 31.1, Job said, I have made a covenant with my eyes that I will not lust after a woman. Guard your heart. Of course, as we've already said, that's, that's so critical. You've got to make sure that you're being honest with yourself about what's going on in your heart and in your mind because Jesus taught in Matthew 15:19 that it is out of the heart that things like adultery proceed watch your dress 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 Likewise, also, that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire. Modesty is the key word there. Peter also mentions that in 1 Peter 3, verses 3 and 4. I'm taking the time to read these because I think it's important. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry, or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. Modesty is the key, and modesty has just about gone out the window in our society today. And especially with young girls, the fashions that people automatically say, oh, this is in now, so I'm going to wear this. Now, that's not necessarily a good idea. We have a higher standard, right? And women, girls, need to remember, modesty is important. They need to remember how how men are especially tempted visually. And I think a lot of, especially girls, don't realize how powerful that is. And they need to not, unwittingly, maybe not even realize it, they need to, to avoid being a source of temptation for guys. God's wisdom will guide us, I think, in that. Avoid evil company. The blessed man does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly nor stand in the way of sinners, nor sit in the seat of scoffers. He doesn't take spend his time around people that that will be tempting for him to follow their paths and go astray in sin. Same thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Paul quotes a, a contemporary philosopher uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Bad company, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. It's not that you never talk to somebody that's not a Christian or living like a Christian should, but you have to have some degree of protecting yourself from their influence. Avoid media that encourages adultery. Staying away from even the appearance of evil, as First Thessalonians 5 talks about. You need to police yourself in what you see on the internet, especially. Sometimes that could be as, as uh, involved as, as pornography. Movies, television, ad, advertising. Be careful. Don't dwell on those things. You've got a higher standard. Discipline your body. Paul talks in numerous places here, and you see some of those passages about treating his body sort of like an athlete in training. You have to discipline how you use your body. Present your bodies to God as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to him. And so we have to say, I'm not going to do that so that I can be pure and faithful to the Lord. My standard is higher. And the last one, avoid idleness. There's a lot of idle time that people find themselves wasting because they're not using it in the best way they could use it. Sure, there's time for rest. There's time for pleasant conversation around the table and so on. But when you find yourself sitting in front of that computer going... Just clicking away, no particular thing in mind, maybe. Idleness. Idleness. And that is a period in which you will be especially vulnerable to sinning. The old saying, idleness is the devil's workshop, there's a lot of truth to that. And so we have to be careful that we don't do what happened to David. King David was idle, he wasn't doing his job as a king when he saw Bathsheba. And committed a breaking of the 7th commandment and the 6th commandment. Things you can do to encourage others in this, of course, is even more important. Who among us has broken the 7th commandment then? The answer is the same as it is for each of the other commandments. All of us are guilty of breaking the 7th commandment in one way or another. The really the more important question is how we have broken that commandment. We need to identify that so that we can acknowledge it to God, seek and receive his forgiving grace. I don't care how far you have gone in the breaking of this commandment as long as you take it to the Lord. God is not going to reject you if you do that. He already knows what you've done anyway. No, what we need to do is to come before the God of mercy and grace. Cast ourselves on him. And if you've never come to Christ, this is the time to do it. You've come to realize that your sin is deep and profound and dangerous and damaging. God will receive you. God will cleanse you from the guilt of your sin because of what Christ did on the cross to pay for those sins that you might be forgiven. And then he will strengthen you and renew you and you can move forward living for the glory of God and keeping that commandment by his grace. Will we do it perfectly? No. But every time we realize we've sinned in this way, bring it to Christ. The purpose of the Ten Commandments really is to take you back to the gospel every single time. Yes, I'm breaking the commandments. I'm not living the way I was created to live. So what do I do? I don't just despair. I don't give up. I turn to the Lord and he helps me. The more we realize how sacred marriage is, the more we're going to be able to keep this commandment. And you don't, even if you're not married, if you're not married right now, you need to commit yourself to being faithful to the Lord Leading up to a possible marriage, if God brings that into your life. It's not for, not everybody's going to be called by God to be married. That's fine, if that's your calling. And you can break that commandment, as we've seen, whether you're married or not. Fight to maintain the integrity of your marriage, though, if you are married. Don't give up on your marriage. Honor that marriage as the most vital relationship of all. And the last thing I want to say here is just to have you turn to 1 Corinthians 6. And this will lead us into the Lord's Supper, I think, uh, in a helpful way. First Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, and we could say the same for women, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And here's the beautiful, beautiful part. And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the spirit of our God. May that be said of each one of us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we rejoice that Christ has come. And that we who have cast ourselves upon him for mercy, for salvation, have found that his promises are true. He has given us new hearts, a whole new life. We are new creations in Christ. And yet, Lord, we still sin. We won't always, but we still do now. And so we ask you to fill our hearts with a, a realization That the gospel promises are true. Not only will Jesus save us when we first come to him for salvation, but he will forgive us and restore us and renew us every time we come to him in repentance and faith. Lord, may each one of us here consider our own hearts and our own lives, and in the light of what your word says, may we live accordingly. We ask now that that would enable us to come and receive the benefits of Christ's death for us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.